Mr. Derek Veenhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yo, Deke. Okay, welcome to the Decast, episode 51, the first video Decast ever. We have a very special guest over the internet today, Mr. Mick West. Welcome, Mick. Hey, how you doing? Good. So Mick is a science writer, skeptic. Um, he runs Metabunk, the website uh, dedicated to uh, debunking a variety of conspiracy theories um, with polite discussion, understanding, and communication. Um, and that's kind of the topic of his new book, uh, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. Um, so... He also is the, he's a retired um, game programmer and was one of the creators of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series, which a lot of you listeners will remember that game. Um, so again, thanks for being here today, Mick. Uh, it's cool to have you here. Yeah, glad to be here. So why don't you give us a little bit of your um, background? Why don't we start with the um, sort of your your education background as far as the programming and the, and the video game stuff and maybe the founding of Neversoft because a lot of right. our listeners are into gaming and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I grew up in England, uh, as you can probably tell by the accent. Uh, not everybody can. And I basically I was really into doing video games when I was young and just messing around with a computer. I had a Sinclair ZX81 and then a, a, Z, a ZX Spectrum. It's like really, really old uh, computers back in the early 80s. And I spent a lot of time messing around with those. And I went to college, got a degree in computer science. But really, I just kind of got through by the skin of my teeth because uh, I was spent most of my time just playing with my computers, which by then was, I think, an Atari ST. And then because I spent all this time just messing around and not really working, I was lucky enough to get a job in the video game industry because back then it was a very informal industry. And pretty much you know, anyone who with a bit of programming experience on the home computers could get a job. So I went straight out of college, got this uh, job uh, programming video games. And after a few years working in the UK, I moved because uh, people just paid you a lot more. Over in California, I got paid like over twice as much for the same job, essentially. So made a lot of sense. Plus, it sounded like fun going to California. And then uh, after a year in California, I, I set up Neversoft uh, with Joel Jewett and Chris Ward. Uh, it's basically Joel's idea. He just wanted to uh, you know, start a company because he knew that's where the money was. And he gathered together a programmer and an artist, and we set up Neversoft, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, we did a few games, and then we uh, did the Tony Hawk series. Yeah, that's and... interesting. It, you So 95 was your first the first game, Skeleton Warriors? Yeah, Skeleton Warriors, which was based on like a, a little toy line of these little action figures uh, and a Saturday morning cartoon. It was, you know, it was a pretty bog standard game back then we actually started doing it on the sega genesis but that was just around the, the time things were shifting over from uh the the 8-bit to the 16-bit mm -hmm. you know, the 16-bit to the 32-bit uh from like you know the sega genesis to playstation and so we dropped the genesis version and we started working on a, a playstation version and uh that was our very first game mm. and so 99 was t uh when tony hawk pro skater came out no how did that come about? Like, whose whose idea was it, and how did you get uh, all the access to all the pro skaters and make all those deals? 
Well, it's basically Activision's idea. Oh. Uh, at the time, we'd just done a game for them called Apocalypse, uh, which was uh, a game starring Bruce Willis. And they'd done all this like motion capture and stuff with him and voice recording. And then they had another developer do it, and the other developer messed it up, so they gave it to us. We did a good job on that. And then they, they were just looking for someone to do a skateboarding game because someone in their marketing department had kind of identified that it was like a hole in the market, and they thought that they... That would be a good game to do because, like, you know, kids were into skateboarding, kids were into video games, mm-hmm. you know, put the two together. So uh, they said, let's do one. And then they said, you yeah, know, who should we get to be the face of the game? And they threw around a few names. And Tony Hawk, you know, floated mm-hmm. to the top. And then Tony did the, the 900 of the X Games, which was a big deal back then. He did the world's first 900 in competition. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that kind of coincided with the game, and it just all kind of came together at the right time. We did a really good game uh, back then on the on the PlayStation, and uh, yeah, we uh, it sold really well, and so we did a whole bunch more games. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up, or I was born in '88, so like that was the mm-hmm. perfect time for for me and my friends. So you'd go to somebody's house back then. I mean, that was the game everybody had. Like it was that, or maybe if they had a 64, it was Mario. 64 or something like that but yeah. it was just like the default game to pick up and play with your friends and so i don't know it, it wasn't just uh any game i mean that game was pretty groundbreaking i mean you had a, a number of sequels there afterwards as well mm-hmm. um so so to give people an idea that's in a long roundabout way sort of how you uh, i mean you're retired now from that success mm-hmm. and so now you uh as a hobby spend your time looking into these um conspiracy theories and these uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it, anti-science, you know, non-scientific yeah, yeah, things. And, yeah. and you you, um, you also um, got your pilot's license, so that got you into the contrail and chemtrail thing? Yeah, after I, uh, I retired, like, you know, pretty early in life, because, uh, uh, you know, basically we sold the company to Activision, which allowed me to retire. And after I retired, I did, like, a bunch of different things. I worked for a game developer magazine for a while, did some contracting and stuff like that but you know i had a lot of spare time uh i wasn't fully retired but uh and i'd always been interested in a couple of things one of them was flying i'd always wanted to learn to fly but just never really had the time and so i started taking flying lessons um and during the course of that i uh came across the chemtrail conspiracy theory but you know stepping back a bit i'd always been really interested in uh debunking for many years before that, back until I was before I was a teenager, really, I used to read about things like aliens and ghosts uh, and uh, you know, UFOs, uh, and yeah, they were just really interesting things at first. And then I would try to explain them and try to you know figure out what was going on, and that just kind of when after I retired, I had the time to actually do that as a hobby full time, essentially, and so that's that's where the contrail science thing came from, which was all about debunking the chemtrails thing, and that led to a metabunk, and here we are. Right, right. Um, did you have any hand in doing that uh, Tony Hawk level that had the UFOs? There was a Roswell level in the first no, I one? Did. <laughs> yeah, well, I was there when they did it, but uh, yeah, uh, each... Uh, uh, yeah, I was uh, the lead programmer, essentially, and kind of the project lead in some ways on the technical side, uh, and so I didn't design the levels. Actually... Right. Uh, the very first game, uh, how the level designs came about was uh, I got everybody in the company together, which was only about 12 people at the time, and I sat them all down in front of a whiteboard and said, right, we have to decide what the levels are. And I got my marker out and just started drawing things 
on this this whiteboard and we we basically designed like five levels with people just shouting things out so we said like here's the school what should we do we'll have like stuff on it what type of stuff we'll have like tapes and one of them can be on the roof and the other one can be over here in the pool and you can grind this long rail here well yeah uh, it was really detailed like like there were so many air like like sub areas that you could go into mm-hmm. it was one of the first games that had that too where it wasn't just um you know very straight away like there was a lot yeah. of different i mean yeah, they were somewhat linear uh, maps to you had to get to the end of a lot of them and stuff like that. But uh, um, so yeah, when you were younger, in the book you mentioned that uh, you didn't want these things to scare you, sort of. So yeah. you wanted to kind of get the truth around them and and, and... well, yeah, it was it was kind of. Uh... When I was young, I was like scared of ghosts because I used to read uh, like some ghost books and UFO books, and I'd be worried uh, that there'd be aliens, you know, coming to abduct me because I'd, I'd read about alien abductions and it seemed like a real thing. You know, when you're a kid, right. these things can feel very feel very real and they can be very scary. And I kind of grew out of it really. I didn't really, uh, you know, try to debunk it back then. It's just one of those things. I didn't get scared of ghosts. After a while, uh, to the same extent, I didn't, you know, believe in Santa Claus or whatever. Yeah. But you know, later in life, like I, I was looking back and thinking it, it would have been better if I hadn't been scared of UFOs, uh, scared of aliens abducting me back then. So yeah, it's kind of a little bit of my motivation for debunking things is that there's no need to be scaring kids with, uh, with tales of you know, aliens sneaking into their bedrooms at night. Right. I mean, they're kind of cool stories, but. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the interesting things about you is the approach that you have, which you go, you discuss uh, in the book, which is just an understanding and, and a, a communication and really allowing, uh, whether it's your friend or a family member, to explain their uh, belief and uh, not just sort of shout them down and that kind of thing. I, I can fall victim to that in my life of, you know, in the past, I've you can calling people dumb or stupid or, or these kind of things, which you often do see that from the cons- conspiracy believer side as well on the internet and that kind of thing. These words like yeah. skeptard and skept whatever, like the word stupid yeah. thrown around and that kind of thing. But I think that is the best approach to, uh, if you want to change someone's mind or reveal to them a lot more information that they might not have already accessed mm-hmm. is to re- like, and you yeah. talk about demarcation lines, which are, uh, I, I talk about, them as camps when i heard you say demarcation line I, I that makes a lot of sense to me which is it's just referring to a, a geographical thing right like a line mm-hmm. between a country and, and yeah well yeah it's kind of a virtual demarcation line here it's just it's the, right. a dividing line between two things like everything's on one side everything's on the other it's a clear dividing line where you demarc it yeah and, and you talk about uh de- between these demarcation lines within the uh groups of conspiracy believers they often try to debunk one another because Mm -hmm. because they're trying they're trying to portray their belief as the true one uh kind of like religions in a way how different religions are trying to tit for tat and uh, put the other ones down a notch and as far as the the truth claims and that kind of thing right yeah yeah well say for example with 9-11 uh you get people within the 9-11 community Yes, quite a lot of them think that the towers were brought down with controlled demolition with explosives. And then there are people who just think that the government is behind organizing the hijackers. And then on the other side of the controlled demolition people, you've got people who think that uh, no planes hit the Pentagon. And then further along, you've got people who think that no planes hit the towers. 
And then you've got people who think the towers were destroyed by energy beams from space or by nuclear explosions or that it didn't it didn't happen at all and the the entire thing was was staged uh and they they d- demolished the towers behind a giant curtain a few days later or something like that mm-hmm. so you get this whole range of people but uh you know everybody has got a line uh which they they kind of draw uh, a line and say yeah everything to one side of the line is quite sensible and everything on the other side of the line is just ridiculous disinformation and it varies by individual so it's very important for you to figure out when you're talking to like someone like a friend who is a believer, you know, where do they draw the line? What do they believe in? What do they not believe in? And if you look at that line, you find the things uh, which they are most uh, usually open to reason about uh, because they already know that things a little bit further along are wrong in their opinion. Uh, but they think that everything on that side is right. So if you say, well, you know, what's the simplest thing that you disagree with? Uh, a good example there is is with 9-11. Uh, often people draw the line around the Pentagon. Did a plane hit the Pentagon? A lot of people think that there was no plane hitting the Pentagon, but it's quite a small shift of the line to actually realize that there actually was a plane. And if you go through all the evidence with them, you show them, you know, here's where the, the, the wings hit the columns. You know, here's the actual, uh, this is debris from the plane. Here's one of the engines of the plane. Uh, here's the analysis of every single column in the building and what it got hit by uh, you know, and what it looks like now and how it was repaired and things like that. And, and even you can, you can say, here are the photos of the bodies of the people on the plane. They're actually right. people, the, the passenger, there's, there's bodies of the, the passengers. You, you probably don't want to do that in general, but you know, these are, these are things that you can show people. And there's such an overwhelming amount of evidence that it's actually fairly easy to shift that line eventually if the person is uh is able to communicate with you and if you're able to communicate with them and that's the other big thing really is keeping uh keeping a good quality line of communication going maintaining effective communication is really the first thing so it's all about talking to them listening to them uh not uh not being rude to them not denigrating them not belittling them so you can keep that line of conversation going and so you can eventually move that line a little bit right exactly that makes sense um yeah back in the day i I got a hold of that zeitgeist film um Mm -hmm. uh, in my teens and a lot of my peers watched it too and uh uh, if people don't remember it's it was that film that uh tried to portray 9-11 as some sort of inside job and then it mixed it with uh, something you don't have to pay taxes in the U.S. and yeah. now Jesus is also uh, either not real or as real as these other deities that have similar birth and death dates and these kind of things. Um, it was a strange film, but it kind of very strange. Yeah, it, it was in the same realm, sort of as that. What the bleep do we know? Kind of that mm-hmm. same time period where there was all this uh, that woo stuff kind of coming out and whatnot. But uh, I, I think for me, at least personally, it was just a lack of information like as i got older and started to read more and and uh, get into different sources you you come you start to pile up all this new information that yeah. sort of weighs down on on the old information um which to me every person at every moment in their life you kind of think you know everything because the sort of you know the the circle around the knowledge that you have is is full it's a this is your head is full of all the information that is there and there's no yeah. new information until somebody introduces or you pick up that book 
which then shows, I mean, everybody's has that experience of, don't even think about conspiracy theory, something else, just something, a field you don't know much about. And then you read a book and something comes along, you go, wow, I, I didn't know that. Like, this is cool. Let me learn more about that. So I feel like everybody can relate to, to that sort of thing. But anyway, for yeah. me, it was reading books like, uh, well, nowadays it's The Looming Tower and um, that other book um, by Terry McDermott um, about the hijackers, um, Perfect Soldiers. Uh, these mm-hmm. kind of books that really go through in detail all the background of the hijackers and the the financing and all these uh, i mean to me it's it's more lengthy than these short one hour documentaries that that try to uh, you know and they're always well put together with music and this kind of thing so it's just yeah, i feel like more information is the key if people uh people they start out usually not knowing very much about a subject say like 911 they haven't really heard very much about it they haven't really looked into it in great depth and then they they watch a documentary uh, like you know Loose Change or Zeitgeist or something like that, and because they don't really know that much about 9/11, all they're really seeing is just one huge chunk that's on one side of the argument. It's like they were to go into a like they're on a jury say, and they're going into a court case uh, for some kind of murder trial or something like the O.J. Simpson trial, and. The only thing they listen to is the prosecution. They, they, when the when the defense comes along, they just you know they blank it out. They don't listen to it at all, or they just don't even know that there is a defense at all. They're just going into a room where the prosecution lays out the case for this murder uh, for several days. And because you know the prosecutor is very good at what he does, it's very convincing because all he is telling you is the evidence that supports his theory. And that's what happens when you watch a film like like Zeitgeist or uh, or Loose Change or or any of the uh, the 9/11 conspiracy uh, truth type things or the books that come out like the David Ray Griffith books. Uh, those those are only presenting you know, the one side. So like you say, you don't know that much. Then it gets filled up with everything on one side, and it takes quite a while you to kind of fill up the other side to balance that out and eventually realize that this stuff on the other side is actually the real stuff and this stuff that you first came across even though it seemed really good at the time is actually just complete nonsense and i'm sure if you go back and look at zeitgeist now you probably just laugh at it because it's uh, it's a pretty ridiculous film yeah i think it also play i mean it's fairly obvious but these things also play on people's emotions and a lot of people have sort of uh a disrespect of authority or this kind of, you know, the government's mm-hmm. out to get us or, or these big corporations are out to get us, that kind of thing. It's becoming more and more popular, I, I think, with this these days of the post-truth and fake news era and this a sentiment against the government. Um, I have just a small example. I, I ha- Have you heard of, like, safe injection sites, like, for um, yeah. drug users? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um, Clean needles and stuff like that. Yeah, in Canada we have a few, and uh, in our city here near Niagara Falls, they they've just opened one as well. And so, a lot of people around here are getting upset about it, like people sometimes do when it, when these things first come around. And I think it's a lot of knee-jerk reaction. But but even within some of the semi-rational um, opinions against it, there's also people who are saying things like, "Well, this is for the government to somehow." make more money or to get more people on mm-hmm. drugs and that kind of thing. And it's, it's like, uh, I have someone coming uh, on the podcast uh, next episode, the, the director of one of these centers to kind of like talk about it and get people really thinking about it. Cause it's, it's like you said, it's a thing that people don't know about and it comes along into their psyche. And then based on their past emotions and, and 
these things, they, they have a, a knee-jerk reaction to it. And I think that's what happened with, like, the Zeitgeist film, that kind of thing. Like, oh, of course, of course George Bush was in on it or this and that. Now we have a re- an, a, another reason to kind of, you know, go against the power structure, the military-industrial yeah. complex, that kind of thing. Definitely, people do uh, respond to anything basically that attacks the people in power. Uh, there's a there's a a book uh, where they I can't remember the name of the book. I think it's American Conspiracies or something like that, uh, where uh, they say like the conspiracy theories are for losers, uh, meaning specifically the losers of the last election. So the people who feel disenfranchised, the people who feel out of power. Or, you know, the economically disenfranchised, like poor people or you know, young people who haven't got a job, you know, they, they feel uh, they're fighting against something. And quite often it's uh, the political party in power, but it can also be the political system and the, the economic system in general. So you're fighting against, you know, the man. Uh, so you, you're getting, uh, you, you, you view these people as the enemy. So it becomes very, very easy to suspect uh, them of being uh, of actually doing something so when you know, 9-11 happened uh, a lot of the people who thought that bush did it were democrats uh, and it was a much more popular theory on the on the democrat side you know as it kind of recedes into history people don't really identify it so much with one party or the other and it's just become a general you know anti-authoritarian thing but you know back in the day it was very much uh, a thing that democrats would believe more uh, easily than Republicans would. Mm-hmm. Do you notice any differences amongst different countries and demographics and that kind of thing um, as far as conspiratorial belief? Because um, in America, it seems to be very heavy. There's also a lot of events that happen in America, so mm-hmm. there's it's chocked full of things. But like I've read that like in the Middle East, there's certain sentiments uh, in certain areas, uh, you know, uh, against Israel and that kind of thing. Like everything's always blamed on Israel. Or is there any yeah. other ones that you're aware of, like in in Asia or anything like that? Well, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of countries are actually a lot more conspiratorial than uh, the U.S. But quite often they have uh, America as uh, the enemy. So a lot of uh, countries, like you know, especially obviously in the Middle East. Uh, are going to believe that uh, 9/11 was orchestrated by the American government or by the American government in in conjunction with the Israeli government, uh, just because they they view you know, America as being being the enemy uh, in the Middle East, and you know in lots of other countries you have perhaps a more uh, primitive understanding of of things like like science, for example, and it becomes easy for conspiracy theories to take root. You know, there's there's big problems. Uh, in countries like India and parts of Africa uh, where you have a, a rural uh, community which is just kind of starting to get cell phones and so they're all on these you know WhatsApp uh, applications you know instant messaging and they're discovering the internet for the first time and they're, they're kind of discovering it with a lack of perspective so you get things like uh, essentially witch hunts being organized on WhatsApp. So you've got this strange juxtaposition of this really old things like people calling other people witches and then actually going around to their houses and killing them, but it's organized on instant messaging. It's a bizarre kind of juxtaposition of the old and the new. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, it, it's because they, they rushed into uh, the new technology and they don't really have the uh, the other kind of the, the background and understanding of how the world works and uh, that magic doesn't work that we have 
to some degree in the West. Although in America, we have a lot of very fundamental religious people, uh, which is something you have less of in uh, countries like the UK. But in general, the UK and the US are fairly similar in terms of the conspiratorial belief. Mm. Um, there, what do you? I mean, there are some real conspiracies throughout history, right? And and sometimes mm-hmm. they're referred to by uh, someone who's trying to convince you that a, a given conspiracy is real. And w- do you know some examples that people often cite? Like, I mean, people talk about um, Hitler burning down his. Um, Parliament building or yeah, uh, the things like that. Yeah, the Reichstag. Well, the, Re- the Reichstag fire uh, is an interesting one because it's it almost certainly was just uh, a communist person uh, went in and set a fire and it burnt down the building. You know, buildings, big buildings do catch fire sometimes. So it was essentially what Hitler said. It was an act of sabotage. Now, he really, really exploited it and he used that event essentially to, to solidify his power base and, uh, you know, continue like the persecution of uh, of the minorities like the jewish people and the communists uh, especially uh, communists and trade unionists and things like that at the start uh, of uh, of nazism that were the target uh so that if people quote that as being a conspiracy but it probably wasn't uh, now, there are obviously things that were conspiracies. You look at uh, you know, Nixon and Watergate. That was a conspiracy between Nixon and some other people to you know, cover up some break-ins uh, in the buildings and to wiretap people. Nixon you know, was a crook and he did conspire on a large number of things. So, you know, obviously, like, conspiracies do happen and they do happen at the highest levels of government. Right. Uh, but a, a lot of the examples that people give us of conspiracy theories that came true were actually things that were never really conspiracy theories. They just were secret, and then they were revealed at some point. You know, the point about conspiracy theories is that they are a conspiracy. Uh, they are a theory, like someone is saying, yeah, this might happen, but they don't really have any solid evidence of it. So there's, right. there's actually very few examples, and none significant ones that I can really think of, where people said, uh, this, this thing is a conspiracy, uh, no one believed them, and then later it was revealed to be a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there are obviously very significant conspiracies that go on, like, for example, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, you know, the Saudi Arabian uh, guy who worked for the Washington Post, I think, uh, yeah. who got murdered by the Saudi Arabians. Saudi Arabians said, no, no, we didn't do it. And then later on, the yes, we did, but we got in a fight, yeah. and then yeah, and then yeah, and the story changed. So you could say that was a conspiracy theory, uh, because people were theorizing that the Saudis did it. And you know, from a Saudi perspective, if you're a Saudi citizen, there were a lot of people that were you know flat out denying it and saying you know that's just you know, the Americans making stuff up. Right. Uh, so from their perspective, you know, a Saudi citizen who believes in the government, you know, it's a conspiracy theory, and it's actually mm-hmm. one that came true. So, you know, these things do happen. But, you know, what we're talking about really is things like 9-11. We're talking about chemtrails. We're talking about uh, uh, false flag shootings where Sandy Hook didn't happen. We're talking about the flat right. earth. These are much more extreme types of things. And there aren't things like that that have happened in the past that have yeah. been revealed. Um, what is the, uh, forgive me if I'm misremembering these events, but do you remember the, uh, it was 1898 here, the USS Maine, that cube, the ship mm-hmm. that was in Cuba there? What, what was the story there again? I'm trying to play devil's advocate now and get into yeah, the yeah. conspiracy <laughs> side. And there's got to be some time where the U.S. sunk one of their own ships or their own planes or something. And 
Who well, was there? yeah. Uh, I, I don't actually remember offhand if the, the main was uh, was a false flag or not. I would have to look that up. But uh, yeah, people said it was, and I'm sure people. There's some people who said it was, and some people who said it wasn't. But either way, uh, you know, it's an, it was an event that was exploited uh, by the Americans. You know, the ship blew up and uh, was sunk, and they they blamed uh, whoever it was uh, on it, and then they used that as a pretext for doing other stuff. And I'm sure that there have been false flag events in the past. I mean, there there have definitely been. Yeah, false flag events in the past. Like there, there was lots of stuff going on during the overthrow of the Shah of Iran, for example, when the uh, the Americans wanted to, uh, you know, have a when the Americans wanted to have a regime change in any country, uh, they had a whole bag of dirty tricks that the CIA would do. You know, CIA would go in and they would pretend that you know certain groups were doing bombings or whatever. Uh, yeah, this is back in the fifties and sixties, uh, and that. That type of thing seems to have fallen out of favor, but it's not that hard to imagine that you know, people might still be doing some things like that. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't really think there's a comparable example to the attacks of 9-11. You, know, you sure. killed 3,000 American people, including a whole bunch of uh, stockbrokers and, yeah. Yeah, I always just thought, I mean, it seems a li- even if you're going to do a false flag, it just seems a little extra have that ha- like you could do a smaller one to justify a war it wouldn't have yeah. to be that extravagant to me that that <laughs> extravagance comes from the 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 al-qaeda sentiment yeah towards yeah i mean that's the what the al-qaeda had their plan was at least four planes there might have actually been others uh that they were going to fly into uh, large buildings you know the world trade center they had you know two planes for that and they had another plane for the pentagon and then they had a fourth plane that was heading towards uh, towards Washington, towards the White House or, or the Capitol. So that was their plan, uh, and you know they they more or less pulled it off. But the idea that you would need all of that just to justify an invasion of Iraq, which you know, the hijackers didn't even come from Iraq; they came from you know uh, Bin Laden was in uh, Afghanistan, and most of the hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. Now, of course, we had to invade Afghanistan first just to make things look legit. Uh, Saudi Arabia got completely off the hook because, you know, there weren't like, you know, actual Saudi officials. There were Saudi you know, rebels or whatever. Uh, but, a couple you know, from Morocco, did... was it true? There's a, two of them from Morocco? Yeah, yeah there were like some from Morocco. I think, I think uh, it was more than two-thirds of them were from, uh, from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, if, if it was a false flag, it was the most convoluted and ridiculous and risky false flag ever and i think that is the one of the biggest arguments against it the sheer amount of risk that would have been involved in rigging two buildings with explosives and apparently it would have to be from top to bottom every single floor million ceiling tiles yeah a million ceiling tiles per building um it's just the the odds of an operation like that actually working you know it would be hard enough just to get one plane be hijacked and fly that one plane into a building you know that in itself would be an astonishing thing uh that itself would get the attention of the world and that in itself would uh given sufficient pretext for uh, invasion exactly. you know, they, right. they, they kill hundreds if not you know maybe a thousand people or so by doing something like that totally. uh, but even doing that even just flying a plane into a building is a very very risky thing to do uh to, to be done by the american government because you know it's going to get investigated so either you've got to have the entire fbi and cia in on it mm-hmm. or uh you know it's it's just it's just 
highly improbable for it ever to work. And I think people really need to take a step back and look at, does this seem like a good idea? Would they actually yes. do something like this? Yeah, oh. sure, the result was great for the project for the new American century and then it gave them uh it gave them like kind of uh, a rationale for pushing their agenda so the result is great but you know would they actually have started from before that and actually done that i really don't think so yeah speaking of probability uh we i don't know if you're familiar with david robert grimes he's from the uk but he wrote a he, he was on the podcast before and he wrote a really neat uh, uh um scientific study it's called on the viability of conspiratorial beliefs right, yeah it, i read it that. Bas- yeah it basically goes through the the how many people mathematically would have to be involved in these various uh you know conspiracies and it's just astronomical like uh as far as ufo i mean whether mm-hmm. it's you're looking at nasa employees or whether you're looking at doctors that are hiding a cure for something or whether like people are notoriously bad at keeping secrets and it's yeah. just, and you can go through all, the, debunk every little point for every conspiracy, or you could just, look, I mean, look at it probability-wise, and just, in that sense. What's the simplest explanation? It's the simplest explanation is that uh, terrorists uh, hijacked some planes and flew them into a building. <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, and it's it's not just, you know, the, the number of people that would need to be involved. I mean, that's obviously huge. Like, you know, we had the entire FBI investigating it. It's the fact that that large number of people cannot keep secrets if you've right. got uh if you've got hundreds of people in on a plot uh, it's quite probable that one of those p- people is going to leak the information you know over the years they they've got family they grow old they die you know someone's going to leak something yeah but a plot this size would require tens of thousands of people if not hundreds of thousands of people you know some I people mean, like talk beyonce about dropped how... an album and nobody nobody knew it was coming like how, how do you explain that <laughs> Well, yeah, non-disclosure take... agreements, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it takes you know, it, it it's like like forty people, and they all sign non-disclosure agreements for a year that say they have to pay a million dollars if they reveal it. Yeah, you know, it's like if you watch, um, yeah, Survivor, like a TV show, like you know, Big Brother or whatever, like you know, some TV show where uh, it's pre-recorded, but you don't know what's going to happen. All yeah. the people who are on that show, they've all signed non-disclosure agreements. So, yeah, it's easy to keep a secret for a small number of people for a short amount of time if they've got a huge financial in- incentive and it's completely benign. You know, right. people who are on Survivor, they're, they're, they're fine with, like, you know, uh, not losing a million dollars so they don't reveal who won it. But if you've got something like, uh, you know, something that caused the death of 3,000 Americans and then, you know, hundreds of, or if not thousands more, in the wars that followed and then possibly hundreds of thousands, if not like over a million people uh, in those countries who died uh, following those events, then, you know, I think someone is going to leak if you've got uh, 10,000 or a hundred thousand people actually involved in the operation. Well, I mean, and people turn themselves in for murder all the time, things like that. I mean, uh, people have guilt (laughs) and that kind of thing. But I mean, I guess if you think that they're reptilians or they're not humans and maybe you can move your goalposts around to, yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of CIA and real conspiracies, um, the Ravens Craig, the CIA LSD experiments that happened uh, mm-hmm. in Montreal at uh, McGill University. I've I've been to that building. I, well, I haven't been inside, but it's a creepy building when you look at it from the outside. But that's an example of a real operation that went on. Where how long did they actually keep that secret for? I think it was like a while, like a good while. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, 
I think it came out in like 77. Uh, I'm just looking at an article here. Like, yeah, 77 was when they revealed it in a, uh, a hearing, but it started back in the 50s, I think, didn't it? Yeah, I think the, the, the main idea was that people were being experimented on with these different drugs, mm-hmm. I think LSD being the main one, um, and just high doses and that kind of thing. And they, some of them would, like that movie Jacob's Ladder, you know, go crazy, yeah, this yeah, and yeah. that. But then they would, I think they were trying to tell people, but people weren't believing them. And then it did come out later, like you said, a couple decades later, that there was some truth to all that. That's, that's just one interesting example of a, a real operation uh, that people yeah. do sort of keep secrets for for a while, at least. Yeah, but I don't know, like, before 77, were there actually, like, books saying, yeah, this was going on? I don't know if it, it was to that extent. There was probably individuals yeah, sure. that said, like, you know, yeah, this this happened to me. But, yeah, like, back then, uh, it was, like, the Cold War, essentially. Back then, it was the Cold War. Yeah. And they were trying to figure out uh, methods of interrogation and interrogation resistance. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed, you know, like it was worth it. You know, people did things like back then, like they would uh, experiment with chemical weapons, essentially, on people, you know, see how they reacted to various, various uh, weapons. Uh, LSD, you know, when LSD came out, it was, uh, it wasn't illegal and it was used by doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like, you know, semi-benign because they didn't really understand exactly what it did yeah uh so you could see it kind of like slipping through the cracks but mm-hmm. you know they they went people went behind the scenes and people did bad things back then there was the you know the tuskegee syphilis uh case where they uh injected a whole bunch of um uh, african-americans with with syphilis uh to just to see what would happen basically uh so it's you know things bad things have happened in the past yeah. yeah, you can't you can't get away from that, and this is something we always need to be vigilant of. That you know, stop bad things happening in the future. But you know, just because something happened in the past, it doesn't mean that something is happening now. Exactly, things have changed. And, yeah, a lot of that that stuff uh, ended you know, quite a long time ago, uh, and the world has changed now. There's a lot more. It was easier to cover things up back in the fifties and sixties because you didn't have cell phones and you didn't yes. have. Uh, people weren't carrying cameras everywhere with them and yeah, having their every mo- movement monitored. So things were well, done even with WikiLeaks, right? Like, like something like WikiLeaks. Yeah. Uh, there's these releases all the time where we were finding, I mean, we, it's hard to keep track of them because there's mm-hmm. so much coming out, but it's you'd be surprised if you don't know like how much stuff is coming out, being revealed of, of not only American government or, or corporations doing things that are illegal mm-hmm. or unethical, that kind of thing. There's so it's hard to keep track of it. There, there's so much stuff going on. But um... yeah, the pa- Panama Papers. Uh, <laughs> they just uh, you know all that uh, offshore banking that they did. So there's lots of corruption there, and they just arrested like a bunch of people. I think in some German banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they just took them that long to wade through uh, all that stuff. But yeah, there is a there's a, a lot of stuff now. It just comes out. You get these leaks, and that's actually another kind of a, a mark against these big conspiracy theories. You get things like uh, the WikiLeaks, uh, Edward Snowden, like releasing all that stuff, uh, um, Chelsea Manning, uh, releasing all that stuff, uh, and there's nothing in it about a 9/11 plot. Yeah, there's loads of corruption. There's loads of bad things going on, and there's you know, there's loads of uh, uh, illegal activity that's been re- revealed in these things, especially in things like the Panama Papers, because it's financial, but yeah, there's no chemtrails, there's no 9-11 controlled demolition, there's even no 9-11 inside job. 
there's there's a document dump going on right now with this uh, Dark Lord character, which all it is is a whole trove of documents from uh, insurance litigators, essentially. So it's these insurance people talking to various eyewitnesses and taking their depositions, and so you've got hundreds of hours of depositions, but it's all just the insurance companies trying to wheedle out of, of paying their insurance things. It's it. There's nothing in it about controlled demolition right. and uh, nothing yet really about any kind of inside job whatsoever. And I don't think that there will be. They'll release it all. You know, they'll, they'll trick people into paying, paying the money to get them to release it and there'll be nothing there. Mm. Um, an- another thing that people often do when they're trying to convince you of a cons- conspiracy or um, one of these um, mysterious things or aliens or anything like that um, is they'll... Uh, they'll point you to some authority figure like we were talking about Paul Hellyer um mm-hmm. this he was the defense minister i believe of canada uh, still alive today he's 95 and he's yeah. read a, wrote a, a bunch of books on this kind of thing and uh, me and you were going back and forth about it uh, how he he doesn't actually have evidence but he will continue to say his story that that uh, there's aliens that have been visiting very specific details like uh four species this and that they look like this Mm -hmm. they talk like this that kind of thing and i just saw a video someone tried to um have him respond to one of joe rogan's criticisms i guess and his defense of of uh the critique was buy my books i'm not lying everyone else is a paid misinfo agent you know that kind of thing and i always think like read my books i'm not lying i mean what kind of evidence is that like why wouldn't you just say the sentence in the book that is the the evidence yeah just yeah like, I'm, I'm almost happy to quote uh, quote lines from my book if i if i have it i'll give people whole chapters sometimes but yeah. uh th- yeah he i think he, he wants people to buy his <clears throat> book basically yeah uh but yeah if you, if you if you read the things he says he's, he's not providing evidence from his time in the government he's just basically repeating something he's read somewhere uh, I think he gets a lot of it from a guy called uh, Alfred Alfred Webre, Webre? can't remember how to pronounce his name. Okay. Alfred Webre, let's call him that, who's a guy who believes in time travel. He believes that uh, the CIA uh, times traveled from the 1960s to get his book to figure out how to assassinate JFK. And this is something he literally believes actually happened. And then this is the guy... Uh, that that your guy, uh, what's his name again? The Paul Canadian? Hellier. Yeah, Hellier. Uh, it's a good name, that Hellier. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, he he got all this information from Alfred Weber, who is this 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 crazy guy basically who believes in time travels and uh, aliens contacting him. Yeah. So he's not an expert. He's someone who was once in a position of power. Doesn't really mean that he had like you know any advanced. Uh, skill or technical skill in these these subjects he's never revealed anything that was his uh that's like you know secret documentation or anything like that or a secret program so he's just some guy and you see this a lot there's uh in the chemtrail thing there's a guy called ted gunderson who was the head of the los angeles fbi uh back in the uh, i think the 70s or 80s so you know you'd think you know he's he's a great guy who would know what's going on he'll be able to tell you the the lowdown on this chemtrail program but all he does is repeat the stuff that he's seen on chemtrail videos 
like he'll tell you stuff about oh there's barium being found in the soil and you know planes shouldn't make lines when they fly overhead and then go and visit geoengineeringwatch.org which is you know the site that he obviously just read and he got all this stuff from so you see these you know experts who really aren't experts at all they're just regular people with you know who happen to be in some position of power at some point yeah and that kind of leads some of us to to think wow he's such a he's in such a position of power uh why would he almost risk that position maybe to say this information something like that maybe uh that appeals it's to usually us after that though it's uh you know the retired people usually right. old men uh who you know were doing something in the 80s or whatever you know if you look at a lot yeah. of people in the say ufo disclosure and you go to a ufo disclosure conference you're just just a sea of old men basically <laughs> right uh and you know they've got it's not like they've got nothing to lose it's just it's, they've got nothing better to do you know they used to be busy and then they retired and then they cast around for something and they happened to you know watch some video that seemed particularly compelling and they didn't fill up the other half so they're stuck in uh, in this half no, that makes sense. Um, I want to jump to your, what's your YouTube channel called? Is it actually just Mick West or is there a couple Yeah, of yeah, Mick West. Okay, because you have Mick a lot West. of um, really good short videos explaining different phenomena that happen on cameras and that kind of thing. Cause, uh, uh, I have a friend, my friend Steve, shout out Steve. He gave me permission to shout him out on the podcast. He had sent me the video which I sent you, which is the of the what we determined to be a light mm-hmm. pillar. Um, yeah. Now, he says he doesn't know what it is. And I showed him the link because I saw the link from the Weather Channel a few days before me and you were exchanging that video. And it was a funny coincidence where I'd learned about light pillars from the Weather Channel a few days before. And then he sent me this other video from Edmonton. There was this red light in the sky. Mm-hmm. And at first you said uh, it may be a reflection on a window. But then when you got home, you saw the video at full size. And you said, yeah, it's definitely a light pillar. And now I can't repeat the science. Uh, it's something about cr- crystals and the way the light refracts on yeah. crystals in the air. Yeah, uh, when when it's very, very cold, uh, you basically get a cloud forming at a fairly low altitude, essentially. Uh, and the cloud is made up of ice crystals. And, you know, like uh, ice crystals, they form in hexagonal shapes. And it depends on the actual conditions, the humidity and the, the speed of the change of the temperature and the, the air movement. But often what happens is the ice crystals will form into little hexagonal plates and so you've got these little hexagonal plates that are kind of drifting down uh, through the air. And because they're drifting down, they're all horizontal. They're not flipping around. They just, they just kind of go like this, like a leaf falling down. So you get this huge cloud that's made up of these horizontal plates. So if you've got a light off in the distance, you get the light reflecting off the bottom of that plate. And so every single plate reflects like a different light. So you get basically these... Uh, these streaks of light in the same way that you get uh, a when when the sun is fairly low over the sea you will get what looks like a long line of light going from you out to the sun there's like a long golden you know ripple on the surface of the sea it's kind of like that except it's in the sky and it's off these hexagonal ice crystals and you know this is something that you can just observe because it happens in places like Edmonton all the time mm-hmm. usually when it happens it's happening uh, with a bunch of city lights that are a bit further away. So you see a whole bunch of these these beams. But if you're in a place where there's only one very bright light off in the distance, let's say a couple of miles away, then you're just going to get one single uh, light streak. You also see them, uh, I've seen them myself uh, here, 
uh, when, uh, when the sun is setting, you'll sometimes see a column of light directly above the sun. So you can, you can demonstrate that this is an optical phenomenon that does actually happen. So yeah, then well, we get there's plenty of optical phenomenon, right? I mean, there's plenty. There, oh, there's yeah. so many. There are yeah. borealis. I mean, there's all kinds of mm -hmm. different light things and, and strange clouds. And I mean, the, yeah, the, yeah, the universe is an amazing place with and, and our senses are, uh, and the way we interpret the universe is pretty, pretty neat. I mean, there's a lot to be learned there. I, uh, most people, I think, can admit that they don't know the extent of how it all works. I mean. Yeah. You know, even when you get deep into consciousness and the, the identity and the way, just everything about that. I mean, there's so, just, just. I mean, his his retort was sort of, I don't believe the Weather Channel, and <laughs> I, I said, I mean, I know that sometimes they get the weather wrong, but I mean, again, it speaks to the probability of is this large organization yeah. only funded by this, uh, you know, to to just dis put misinformation out there and trick you to the, but it's not it's not like these only the weather channel showing you this stuff if you just do exactly. a, a google search for light pillars you'll see thousands thousands right. of different sources of the information on light pillars you can look up old books i've got a, a collection of uh, of old books on on the weather i've got a huge like, number of them Like, yeah, I've got this one old book here. This is from the 1800s, uh, and it probably, you know, I haven't actually looked through it, but it probably has a description of uh, uh, of, of light pillars in it. Here's like some pictures of some cirrus clouds that people now would say were, were chemtrail clouds. But this, mm -hmm. this is a photo from 1894. So you can get these old books uh, quite cheaply on the Internet, and you can look them up, and they have these descriptions of light pillars. You know, light pillars don't happen every day. I've seen like maybe two in my entire life, and they're really cool to see. If yeah. you live in Edmonton, you're going to see more because it's colder there. Uh, but you, know, you will see them, and you know, next time you'll recognize it. And the thing is, it looks exactly like a light pillar. You look at all these other pictures yeah, exactly. of light pillars. Yeah. This one, what it is looks, it? Is it an angel? Is it an alien? Is it a spirit? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. Um, my <laughs> other thing to, was that, you know, you can say, oh, the source is not credible. I don't, I don't believe uh, NASA. I don't believe the Weather Channel. I don't believe whatever, the government. But what about the science behind it? Unless you can mm. disprove the science, the scientific reasoning, um, I don't think you've got anything there. And that's, I think, another thing that people misunderstand is the scientific method and, and how yeah. scientists come to a conclusion. I think even in the religious community, they often look at uh, – science they call it it's like a group of people that believe one thing but it's not really it's just people who work mm. on science using the scientific method well in this example i think you don't even really need to get deep into the science like you know the explanation i i just gave with the hexagonal plates is is the real explanation but you don't even need to do that you can just observe the fact that they appear above light uh, right. if you go to some positions like sometimes the lights are beyond the horizon or they're behind some trees or something and you can't see them. But a lot of the times, if you, you know, if you just do a Google search for uh, light pillars, you'll see a lot of the examples. You can actually see the light beneath uh, the light pillar itself. So you're seeing like some city lights in the distance and you see a corresponding set of light pillars above those bright lights. And if you were to like, you know, at your friend's uh, location, and you were looking at this one orange light that's off in the distance, and if you were to get in a helicopter and go up in the sky a bit, you would be able to see you know, this one bright light off in the distance on some building somewhere. So you don't have to understand the science to simply observe that sometimes 
these light streaks appear above lights in the sky. And there's no reason to think an angel would just be hovering above a street light. Right, right. Uh, you also, uh, one of the good videos on your YouTube channel is, um, you have plenty of these, but uh, I think it was a recent one where there was a water droplet on the lens. Oh, yeah. And, and so the Facebook video went viral and it was uh, some sort of light in the background. Maybe it was, there was uh, another, like a lightning storm or something. And then all of a sudden, this light just kind of spreads out in this very odd shape and it yeah. looks like something mysterious. But you slowed down and zoomed into the video and once you zoom in and actually carefully look, you can see the, the house line, uh, the line of the houses and the, the apartment buildings and how you can see that it looks like a water droplet when you, right. when you closely examine it, right? Yeah, you can see that uh, it's just duplicating and distorting uh, what's beneath it. So you can see the light itself is, is kind of distorted and that's what's causing this kind of jellyfish-like UFO. But it's also distorting everything else in the scene as well. And that's not immediately apparent, like if you're looking at it on a small screen, like if you're just looking at it in, in your Facebook feed or on your phone. Uh, so you can look at it full screen and you kind of expand, uh, you know, you, you brighten it up and stuff. You can, you can see what's going on. But then I also duplicated the effect uh, in my garage. I took my phone and I, I dropped a little bit of water on the lens and kind of you know, shook it off and then pointed it at a light and you got the exact same effect. Uh, but you know, not not everyone uh, is easily convinced because I think people like the idea that it's some kind of alien uh, spaceship like or whatever. I like it too. I kind of like it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love it. <laughs> It'd be great if there was actually an alien spaceship coming in. That'd be fascinating. Speaking but... of believing in aliens, I back when I watched that uh, Zeitgeist movie, I mean, I too, I too was experimenting with marijuana, different things like that. So mm. my mind was kind of expanding and looking for different things to get into and believe in, I suppose. And uh, one of the things that was really odd is um, there was this YouTuber that was basically one of those channelers that would put out right. videos for, and it would be an alien that's from Sirius, the Sirius system, and her name was Salusa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... Essentially, I believe what the real thing was, was someone was typing stuff out and having one of those computer narrators read it. So it wasn't a voice. It was more like one of those computer voices. And the funny thing is I looked up that alien's name the other day because I used to watch these videos. And I was half convinced by them back then. I don't know why. but mm -hmm. And they would always be telling them some future things that are coming and uh, some spiritual stuff mixed in. And it all kind of made sense because if you use vague enough sort of spiritual language, people kind of connect to it. And so I looked up this alien and I found their old blog and it, it, the last message was from 2015 and it said, we will soon be revealing the disclosure or the, the stuff we're working on with your governments and this and that. And I was like, well, where, where'd it go? <laughs> like, what happened? Like, you just dropped off. Yeah. Like, you, you gave up? That's, like, that's the problem. And who knows, maybe the guy died or maybe he, like, got a job. Like, who knows what happened to that? But it's just a funny thing where it's like wow i was kind of convinced by this back then and now well it's like uh, like qanon isn't it like now like the the, Q, the whole q thing uh is yeah, i want to about... get into that actually next so yeah go ahead yeah well qanon basically is a series of predictions they've been constantly predicting things and you know the the, the guy behind qanon do you, have you heard of Nostradamus? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Middle Ages guy, and he wrote a bunch of what are called quatrains, which are like little little poems, uh, which were supposedly predicting the future. And if you read them, they don't seem to make any sense. But if you kind of read them and then say, oh, maybe this is predicting Princess Di, as, oh, yeah, like, you know, a princess in a carriage goes for a ride and everything changes. Oh, that's Princess Di being assassinated or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
it's easy to to shoehorn an event onto an explanation when you look back at it. It's it's harder to, to predict it. So if you want to be a Nostradamus, what you should do is you should give your predictions in the form of riddles. You shouldn't say exactly what's going to happen because mm-hmm. if you do, then it won't happen and uh, people will stop following you. But if you give a riddle, then when something happens, your followers can say, oh, well, that proves it because I can fit that to this particular riddle. And if you give a lot of riddles, then there's always one of them that's going to fit what happens in the future. So it it sounds like you're actually being right all the time when when you're not. And QAnon... Yeah. For people who don't know, it's a it's these crumbs they call them, right? On 4chan or 8chan yeah. now that there's this Q and Q character that will post these cryptic messages, like you said, and they call these crumbs. And then what they call the bakers are, I suppose, people who read and interpret them and then connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Like some of them will say this and that, uh, and then I'll give a number, 22, something, something. And then in the White House, Trump will be with 22 of his uh, – staff and they'll say look at the there he said it two days ago look at the timestamp." uh you know but or yeah. he's holding a jersey and he didn't use the number 45 for his presidency he used 17 <laughs> which is q from the alphabet and i don't see the significance the whole joke me and my best friend nick right now uh he kind of tongue-in-cheek believes in all these conspiracy theories like if you really get down to it he'll probably admit he doesn't but he loves to just be very educated on them and mm-hmm. give you all the details so he'll just try to convince me all the time and i'll just will say like what i don't get what it means though like what is the storm what what is what is yeah. the storm i don't know what the storm is and well you know the storm is supposed to be that uh they're going to arrest uh all the democrats and a bunch of uh, people in hollywood uh which is this of, pedophile uh, pedophilia yeah the ring pedophile idea. ring thing yeah so how do it's... you debunk, can you debunk pizzagate for me in like a few sentences like what's with podesta's artwork <laughs> and all that weird stuff because isn't that kind of weird yeah, no, it is. It's it's slightly disturbing artwork, but uh, the, the probably the one you're referring to is the slight depictions of child abuse, which uh-huh. was actually it, the artist there was a uh, a survivor of child abuse, and they were writing. Uh-huh. They were basically making paintings of their own experience, uh, what they remembered from. You know, they they said they were part of some kind of child sex ring, and they they're doing paintings of that. But uh, yeah. I, I don't think that was Podesta anyway. That was like just it was like some gallery that he was a patron of or something. And there was like four hundred pieces of art or five hundred pieces of art, and that was just one or two of them that kind of were from this one yeah. specific artist. Yeah. It's this it's this one artist. Uh I think there were some other ones that you know had, had children in them. But you know, if you if you look at the entirety of the art world, uh uh some of the paintings are going to be of children. So it's you know, if if you all you do is look at the paintings of children then collect them all together it's going to look kind of creepy because all you're doing is you've got the paintings of children but i'm sure they have all kinds of paintings there but yeah uh the thing is you can't really debunk things like this because it's all based on this very twisted interpretation of things like podesta's emails like if, there's one series of emails where they're talking about going to a, a pastor party at a friend's house and the the pool is going to be there and there's going to be some kids there and they say things like it'll be fun with the kids in the pool which you know if people say things like that it sounds perfectly innocuous unless you think they're part of some kind of demonic pedophile ring now if you're already convinced there are a bunch of demonic pedophiles then they're the thing oh we're going to have fun with the kids in the pool it sounds like you know really really nasty but you know it's it's just you know the kids are going to have fun playing in the pool that's what kids do so (laughs) 
right but you build it you build a mosaic of all these these other things mm-hmm. with the painting and the and i don't know what but uh, all these things that then are supposedly supposedly proof of something yeah. going on i mean it, it's it's strange stuff i mean it, it it is interesting in some sort of way like uh symbology and that kind of thing like even with the logos that they try to portray as um i don't know this pizza place this logo has this satanistic uh thing in it or something i mean uh, i do graphic yeah. design for a living too so it's interesting like the how logos and symbology and, and shape and color and these kind of things play on us like there's something almost mm-hmm. union about that like archetypes and that kind of thing that it well, speaks to some deep level in us i think with that the what, what it was was they they thought that there was pedophile symbols uh and they said that pedophiles had these things where like a, a triangle meant something a a double circle meant uh, something else, but they're very, very simple symbols. So it's it's quite easy. You know, there's only a limited number of different geometric shapes that you can make, and then you combine yeah. them. There's only a limited number of those. You know, eventually some of them are going to end up looking vaguely like these. Like if you do a swirl, you know, it will look like the pedophile symbol now because there's a, a double swirl looks like a pedophile. Yeah, symbol. or Trump did a Q with his hand, but he always does this. <laughs> eventually, <laughs> eventually his hands are going to make. Uh, some kind so, of shape. So. Yeah. Um, what do you? Uh, so I, I didn't actually get to the part in your book where I guess you talk about the future of conspiracy beliefs and different things coming, like AI and that kind of thing. Did you touch on some of that? Like, what do you see conspiracy belief on the rise, or is it diminishing, or is it? It's. Uh, I. I. I think it's it's staying fairly level. It's just kind of changing in kind of intensity and the the amount it gets into the public discourse. The number of people who believe in conspiracies may be going up a little bit more. But they've got more of a, a voice now because uh, it's so easy to get things onto YouTube. Uh, and because it's so easy to get things onto YouTube, it's very easy for people to get sucked in to YouTube. Uh, YouTube has a problem where it essentially is designed to addict you. And this isn't something they've necessarily uh, consciously decided. They don't, they're not, they don't set out to say, like, let's, you know, let's be addictive. They just uh, they've tried to maximize their profits. And because mm-hmm. of that, the YouTube algorithm has evolved itself just by, you know, random selection. It just changes the algorithm to do the things which make the most money. And the things that make the most money tend to be when people watch uh, really, really long videos and get drawn into these videos. And uh, to, to do that, it basically has to draw you down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. You, you watch one video that you think is compelling, and then it will feed you another. And if you like that one as well, then he knows, oh, it's a trajectory that we're on. You know, we started out with, like, you know, 9-11 is an inside job, and then 9-11 controlled demolition, and then you just get deeper and deeper, and more and more extreme conspiracy theories, and it will just kind of guide you in. And if you start losing interest, it'll maybe change tack a bit and start showing you different videos. But YouTube is essentially, not deliberately, but it is trying to addict you to something. And Mm -hmm. sometimes those things turn out to be conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of the danger um, with these things, right? Um, you familiar with this book, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts by Jaron Lanier? He's a VR pioneer. It. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of interesting because he, he's around for starting a lot of this stuff. And so I think LinkedIn, he was yeah, yeah. involved in making something like that. But he's very against social media. And it's kind of an interesting take uh, mm. on the different negative aspects of social media and as far as like how it affects our psychology and that kind of thing. Um and your brain chemistry, it actually, you know, there's, he talks about, and it, it talks about how you get dopamine hits when you, uh, when you open up Facebook, 
And if someone likes something that you post, it gives you, you, you can actually measure a little change in the brain, a little, little burst of you know, pleasure chemicals in your brain. And that it also gets you addicted. Uh, and you, you find yourself, if you're on social media, you find yourself going and checking, you know, I've got to check my social media or check Facebook, check Twitter, check Instagram. Cause you're, yeah, and it's not even really particularly a conscious thing. You just have this feeling that you need to check it because your, your body has started to get, get used to getting these little dopamine hits uh, every time you, uh, someone likes something you said or every time you, know, you, every time you see something or someone, every time you click on something, it becomes it's, addictive. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we're, we're all familiar with this feeling. If you really stop and think about it, like try to, you know, what I do sometimes is delete the apps off my phone. It just it helps mm-hmm. me to get away from them a bit. But I mean, it always pulls you back now and again. But um, it's just these days you got to be more conscious of this kind of thing and the fake news and and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. And this quick up to the minute, even with the UFO videos are the balls of light, right? You see it, you scroll, you scroll the next one, you scroll the next one, like, mm-hmm. Nobody takes the time like you're doing on your YouTube account to sit there and actually examine it um, or, you know, take the time to read a whole book on a subject that really explains something to you like Contrails or uh, the Science Pen, any of these things, or like those 9-11 books that go into detail. Uh, you know, you might think an hour documentary is a lot of detail, but it's it's really not compared to the the just wealth of info in these well, books. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's true to a degree, but I, mean, I wouldn't entirely agree uh, because there are some very, very long and very, very detailed uh, YouTube videos that are conspiracy videos, and there, there are some very detailed books. I have a couple of books here, uh, Debunking 9-11 Debunkers. Debunking. It's a big, thick book. It's right, right. Like, you know, 400 or 500 pages. Yeah, 566 pages, and it's got loads of stuff in it, loads and loads of detail. And I think you know the sheer scale of it can be kind of misleading is another book i have 9-11 unmasked which is another you know another quite thick book 400 plus pages uh so that you could actually fill up a whole shelf with 9-11 conspiracy books and it looks like you've you've done a lot of research right but, you know all you're doing is you're just doing you know the one side you haven't really got the the other side and that's actually part of a problem because most scientists and engineers that you know i know that i've talked to think that 9-11 conspiracy theories are ridiculous and so they don't address them and so we get this this unbalance because all you've got is these books uh talking about how 9-11 was an inside job and you've got very little on the other side you've got uh, you've got popular mechanics uh book and you've got some some websites like my website so it it becomes this unbalanced thing people think oh you know there's all these architects and engineers there's all these books there's all these videos and there's only like metabunk and popular mechanics on the other side so obviously all these guys must be right or whatever yeah yeah Uh, that's interesting um because some people do i mean some people don't even know about these like you say chemtrails some people they're like oh yeah i don't know what you're talking about most people don't know about them and yeah. that, that people think people who are into 9/11 conspiracy theories uh, think that it's this big deal and everybody's heard about it. But yeah, I think the the the, the stuff like the controlled demolition conspiracy theories. If it, most people I talk to, uh, they just say, "What? That's, that's ridiculous." <laughs> right. And the chemtrail stuff—they've never even heard of chemtrails. Right. And you know, then like you know, flat Earth, obviously, they, they just think that's completely ridiculous, not even worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, there's this misconception that they're being they're talking about some kind of mainstream topic when they're going on about you know building seven. Uh, 
but yeah, they're not. It's this. It's still a fringe thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get these polls of people, like, do they think 9/11 was an inside job? Oh, you know, was the government involved? And you get a good chunk of the population who says yes, but they're not. They're, they're not saying like you know it was a controlled demolition. They're saying the government is, isn't telling us everything about 9/11, which is probably true. I would probably go on you know that side of the camp. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of things that people in power did on those days and in subsequent days that or uh, didn't do, like applied. preventing or oh, yeah. whatever that kind of thing. Yeah, the, it's a bunch of CYA. Like they're they're trying to. Pre- protect themselves and their, their friends you know yeah. people fucked up on those days they yeah, for sure. uh, they you know people made mistakes uh, but you know people didn't think it was worth you know punishing people for things like that it was better to go after the bad guys and so perhaps stuff was swept under the rug uh, stuff like you know the failures of the air traffic controllers to direct the fighters to the right place you know those failures of the system which you could perhaps pin on some individual but really it was you know a series of events that no one was really prepared for, and so people didn't uh, perhaps do their best. But mm-hmm. yeah. What's uh, but, one one last yeah. quick thing that you can debunk for me? Because somebody mentioned okay. this to me the other day, and I wasn't that good at debunking it. Is that the line that they say where uh, was it something that only the Bin Laden family was allowed to fly out of U.S. airspace on some secret plane? On the yeah, day? I, think that, I think that was true. It was. Uh, a few days after 9-11, uh, and they got on a chartered flight. Uh, it was some members of the Bin Laden family and some other people from Saudi Arabia. But, you know, there was a lot of, you know, people were given special exemptions then. The, you know, the Bin Ladens, uh, they're not all terrorists. You know, the most of the Bin Laden oh, of course. family are... Construction yeah, family, just, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a huge family. And uh, he has, like, something like 100 brothers and sisters, and... Because his his father had like you know several wives as I remember, uh, so yeah, like rich Saudi Arabians uh, were allowed to fly back to Saudi Arabia on a charter flight with special you know agreements with the government. Uh, oh, so they just made people. some sort of agreement. Like, I mean, what? Who was there? Other examples of people that did this that are known? Like, yeah, I, I I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure that there were. Uh, you know, anybody who was like you know super rich foreign people who were living who were in the country at the time would need to get back to their uh, their home countries and they would just make some agreement with the government. You know, if you, there's no security risk for uh, a flight like that if, if it's all prearranged and screened by uh, by people. It's just that you couldn't turn the general uh, aviation system back on because you didn't have uh, the screening for every single flight. The special flights were arranged for uh, the rich and the powerful to move back around the world so they weren't all trapped in America. And some of them were uh, were Bin Ladens, mm-hmm. relatives of Osama Bin Laden. So yeah, that's something that happened. But there's a reasonable explanation for it. Yeah, they're rich, powerful people. They are contacting yeah. the government, and they arrange to fly back. Yeah, I think it's, it's sometimes you hear the the fact, and you you're stuck on it for a moment, and you your brain doesn't know which way to go until somebody presents you with that other fact, like you said that well there were other chartered flights, and then your brain goes, yeah. oh okay, that makes sense, like. Like nobody and told I would, me that I would I look find... into it. I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm I just vaguely remembering mm. what happened. It's not something I'm, I've really looked into. Yeah. Uh, but look into it and look into all sides of it, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's, there's claims that these people were uh, somehow connected, but also look into what other people flew out, you know, exactly what day it was, like uh, 
where were there other people flying to other countries and uh, yeah there probably were it's just you hear about this one because of the the connection with the name it sounds suspicious for sure okay well um thanks for doing the podcast with us here today mick uh is there any could you plug your websites and metabunk uh and your twitter yeah. and that kind of thing yeah, well, my uh, Twitter is Mick West. Uh, my YouTube is Mick West. My uh, Facebook is Metabunk. And my website, metabunk.org. That's uh, where I spend most of my time debunking stuff. And if you're interested in that stuff, I've got a book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect, which is all about how to talk to your friends who believe in conspiracy theories. And I cover uh, 9-11, chemtrails, flat earth, and false flag type things in there in quite a bit of detail, as well as a bunch of general advice on how to talk to people. So that's me. Pretty cool. Highly recommended book. It's also available in audiobook format. That's how I got it, too. So uh, if you're on Audible, grab that. Thanks again, Mick, and uh, best of luck. Keep doing what you're doing. We'll talk soon. Great. Thanks a lot. All right. See you.